Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists from where they are now, from where they've been and everything in between. I probably got that wrong. But... Uh, welcome back. My name is Sanjay. I'm your producer. And today Anisha sits down with a remarkable pharmacist called Amanda Kavnes. You are in for a treat. This episode is all about resilience. This is all about dedication. It's all about challenges. Uh, You're going to hear Amanda's amazing story, both her professional and personal journey from her early days as a pharmacy technician to her involvement with pharmacy organizations through to her battle with cancer. So uh, sit tight. I hope you uh, enjoy the episode. Take care. So Amanda, welcome to the Pharmacist Diaries podcast, first of all. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a great conversation simply because we have pediatrics in common and I'm super excited to uh, share that kind of aspect of your journey with you. Um, I guess we'll kickstart the episode as I always do with why you became a pharmacist in the first place. Sure. I had a little bit of an an unusual route to pharmacy that was not my intention when I was an undergrad. So my degrees in undergrad are actually in biology and criminal justice. And I wanted to do um, forensic pathology or something, you know, forensic science related. And so after I finished my undergraduate degree in the time that I was trying to figure out if I was going to get a master's or what I was going to do, Um, I started working um, at a local pharmacy just to have a job and really loved it. I loved the connections with the patients. I loved seeing how um, they had built relationships with the pharmacists there and getting to see them, you know, week after week. And I really loved the environment. I loved being able to use my biology degree. I'd always been interested in medications, but um, the longer that I worked there, the more I decided that was where I wanted to build my career. And so I became a certified pharmacy technician and started applying to pharmacy school and um, got into pharmacy school and the rest is history. Amazing. Um, So what was, I guess, your pharmacy school journey like? Um, Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So after undergrad, I had a four-year break, actually, um, before I started pharmacy school. Um, My pharmacy school program was four years. Um, and was pretty much a normal pharmacy school journey up until about three months before graduation. Um, And that is when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, And so I finished up pharmacy school and graduation and took the licensing exams um, while I was undergoing chemotherapy um, and later um, after graduation surgery and radiation. And so really the first year after pharmacy school, um, was spent dealing with my the beginning of of my cancer journey. So um, during pharmacy school, I was also really involved in extracurricular organizations, um, both national and international. So I was involved with APHA ASP. I um, was heavily involved with IPSF, um, and then that sort of led me to some of the organizations that I'm involved in now that we'll talk about later. Cool. Tell me a little bit about, um, well, I guess explain to the audience what IPSF is and what involvement you had as a student and also how you got involved with it. Yeah. So how I got involved was that I have just always been fascinated by um, learning about the world around me, what was out there internationally, and learning what would be different in pharmacy internationally. So IPSF is the International Pharmaceutical Student Federation. Um, and so my roles there, I was involved with the student exchange program. And this program um, allows for student pharmacists around the world to be connected to one another and actually travel to other countries um, and learn about pharmacy and participate in pharmacies there. So that was my role for two years. And it was sort of this dual role held by APHA ASP, which was our national organization, and IPSF. So I represented a- the APHA side through IPSF. So um, United States students who wanted to travel out or students that were coming in sort of went through our committee. So it was a really wonderful experience. I got to meet so many people from around the world and learned so much about global pharmacy, public health, and really just different cultures in general and um, was one of the most amazing experiences of pharmacy school. 
And what exactly did you do in terms of that involvement? So I was the student exchange officer for IPSF, um, which was the role I was telling you about where I, um, you know, the students come in, we would review their applications um, and place them with host uh, host sites around the country. Um, if they were interested in community pharmacy, finding availability for that, um, hospital pharmacy, et cetera. And then also helping our students be placed um, in countries around the world by working with the student exchange officers from other organizations. Cool. So what do you think in terms of your skills that you gained? And the only reason I ask that is because it's always useful to talk about what pharmacists have done as kind of students and how they've developed their knowledge, their skills, their experience in their journey. Um, what do you feel like, um, uh, yeah, in terms of skills that you learned with that role that helped you um, in your pharmacist journey? Oh, tons of things. Um, number one, just being sort of more aware of the world around me. Um, but also, you know, little things that came in so handy during residency and even now as far as like balancing um, balancing school and this other role, there were, it almost felt like having another full-time job sometimes, but, you know, figuring out how to, um, how to have time management, how to communicate professionally with people in different cultures who spoke different languages, um, just so many skills, um, like leadership wise, management wise, that really came in handy down the road, um, particularly organization, time management, and just also learning about about the organization and structure of organizations and sort of the behind the scenes things of um, association and association management in general um, were also helpful later in life in, um, you know, in roles I have now in pharmacy organizations. Amazing. I know it's really useful to get involved with different organizations because it also increases your exposure to what pharmacy is about. And you made all those connections with people and you understand more about what pharmacy is like in different countries. And that must have been really interesting. I love that. Uh, there's a lot of things I do now, which when I hear even with the podcast and interviewing pharmacists from different countries, it's so interesting to hear how pharmacy is different and what people are doing and actually learning from, you know, different countries and what, what roles people play, how their day-to-day -day life is as a pharmacist in comparison. Um, there are massive differences between the UK and the US, for example, that are really interesting to always kind of, um, mm -hmm. yeah, debate about. So I guess from um, the point of view of university, um, what were your um, kind of passions? What was it during your university degree in pharmacy specifically that you really loved and you thought, oh yeah, I definitely want to do this, you know, down the line? Yeah. So um, when I entered pharmacy school, I guess I was, I'll call it pharmacy naive. Um, I really thought I would be working in a community pharmacy forever. I had no idea what my other options were um, or what this whole world that would be soon open to me in had to hold. Um, and so when I started doing rotations and started learning from these professors in pharmacy school, and they would tell us about working in pediatrics or working in oncology or critical care, I thought, this is amazing. I have so many choices. I have no idea which one of them I want to do. I want to do them all. Um, but so that was the great thing about rotations was sort of experiencing all of those areas and really figuring it out. And um, ultimately, my experiences in pediatrics um, led me to decide that that was the path I wanted to take. Kids are so resilient. It's such an uplifting environment. Um, there are definitely hard days when you work with kids. That, you know, we don't always have wonderful outcomes. Um, but those days are really balanced by seeing the resilience and the positivity of other kids. And also knowing that you did everything that you could to make that child's life um, you know, great and to help them maybe die with dignity, have a, a better end of life. So um, lots of opportunities there in pediatrics that I just really appreciated and still to this day, I'm learning more and more about and I'm and really glad that that's what I get to go to work and do every day. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I do love it. And also I, I and who doesn't love the cute hospitals, you know, they're, know. they're decorated more fun. There's bright colors, there's art everywhere. So, you know, that's just a little, a little bonus. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. And when I, when I first got my job in, I'm working in London at the Evelina 
it's a children's hospital. When I first walked into the kind of ground floor of the hospital, I mean, of course, it's so colorful. They've got this cool like slide. They had clowns. They had games everywhere, like kids running around. There was a really nice buzz to it. And it's like um, a fully glass building. So when you go up to sort of our third floor, it's like a glass atrium. So you feel like you're in a greenhouse. So, you know, you can see the sky, the sun, like on a good sunny day. It's just a wonderful place to kind of work and enjoy. Um, And I just felt, I felt really happy. I mean, pharmacies in London or even in England, pharmacy is normally in the kind of lower ground floor in the dungeons where there's no windows (laughs) to the real world. Yeah. Even when I worked in um, Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi, um, we were on the ground floor, but we weren't anywhere close to any windows to see outside. So it was exactly the same. Um, So it's really nice to kind of be in such a, a bright kind of uplifting place and people worry working in pediatrics simply because you feel like it would be so sad to work with children who are unwell but actually they lift you up themselves even when they're sick they're still bubbly and funny and they enjoy having a quick game with you and that makes my day and even when I'm in outpatient pharmacy handing out prescriptions, I get the stickers out and I go a little bit wild with the kids and my colleagues just think I'm mad, but actually I'm bringing joy to myself as well as to the family. Totally. Yeah. I feel like when they come to the hospital for outpatient appointments, it's sometimes half a day, right? They're coming in, they're having wait times, they're seeing the doctor, they then go for blood tests and then they kind of come to pharmacy last they're tired, a little bit hungry, a little bit grumpy, kind of want to escape at this point, And you're their last kind of port of call before they go home. So I want to make it fun for them. And uh, usually I do my best. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do enjoy definitely. it. It's totally. not the same with grannies or like little grandpas. They are so cute. Don't get me wrong. I love old people. And I used to love working on elderly wards. But it's just not the same. I love a small person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to take you out of pediatrics for a second and rewind to the mm-hmm. fact that you were obviously diagnosed with breast cancer at such a young age and in a pivotal part of kind of your, the start of your professional life. How did that impact you emotionally? Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, t- there's a story that, and I'll never forget this moment. I was on a, a rotation um, at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. I was lucky enough to have a rotation there in school. And I was walking to the cafeteria one day and these two little boys were walking in front of me and um, they were, their parents had, you know, sort of gotten ahead of them. And so they just started talking to each other and you could tell they were both parent, both patients. And the one little boy said, do you got cancer? And the other little boy said, yeah. And the first little boy was like, me too. And they sort of walked for a second. And the first little boy was like, you like Ninja Turtles? It's like, yeah. And and we had moved on. You know, they moved on. They were just being kids. And so I sort of thought, okay, that's how I'm going to do this. You know, you got cancer? Yep. You like Ninja Turtles? Yep. Let's go. So, you know, people, when I got diagnosed, were like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go to rotation every day and do what I can do and make it through. And I'm going to graduate with the rest of you guys. I'm not leaving you behind. Like I'm not letting you leave me behind. We are all walking across that stage together. And, um, you know, there was sort of this surreal moment and, um, and thankfully my, my doctor sort of understood me and knew what I was going through. And I remember sitting in his office with my planner and saying, these are all the places that I've applied to residency. So if I match here, we'll need to have chemo wrapped up by this date. Or if I match here, we can pull it a little longer. And he sort of gave me a couple of weeks, I think, to, you know, get through just the general shock of what was happening. And he was like, okay, okay. And it didn't take me long to realize that like residency was not in the cards this year. This would not be happening. This this was real. And so, you know, he sort of let me feel like I was in control a little bit and have some say so. But, um, and, you know, little things like that really helped me be able to deal with it. And um, I ended up getting a job, you know, staying in community pharmacy with the company I'd been at and 
just having the support and having the pharmacy community around me, honestly, when I was going through everything made it made it so much better All my friends from pharmacy organizations. And um, thankfully, the community of pharmacy was so supportive for me when I was dealing with all of that. So and how long was your treatment journey? So I was actively in treatment for about um, 10 months um, from the time I started chemotherapy. And then um, I have continued on hormone hormone therapy ever since. And um, being so young, we're sort of not always included in the literature. And so it's been sort of an evolving journey, which is nice. I you know, always want to advocate for younger patients to be included in the trials, especially with breast cancer. There's so many of us that are being diagnosed younger and younger. And so I think it's really important. So um, as I continue through treatment now, I've tried to, to stay um, involved in advocacy and helping the physician, you know, hey, I saw this new article. What do you think about this? How long do you think we should do this? And so it just sort of still, um, it's still up in the air, sort of. Cool. And I mean, I commend you for having such a positive attitude to quite what could be a very negative experience um, and and obviously a a shock um, physically emotionally especially at the kind of peak of you starting your professional life but obviously going through treatment and having to take time off work I assume to get all this treatment done and then having rest periods if you're not feeling too good like post chemotherapy how did you handle that um so thankfully my work was very um uh they they worked with me a lot so we just sort of set up this rotating schedule about i have chemo on these days i'll need to rest on these days and then i'll work shifts on these days and we just you know we're very structured these this is the way that we were going to do it but they were always very flexible and made sure that you know i was never going to be the only pharmacist there, you know, three days after chemo or something in that way. If if I was feeling bad, no big deal, you know, don't come, go home, do whatever. And so, um, like I said, they were very supportive and, um, also, you know, seeing my patients and getting to the pharmacy and doing those things honestly sort of helped me recover each week and feel a little better knowing that, um, that I could relate to those patients and know what they were going through and, um, and just having some little bit of normalcy, really made it all easier to deal with. Because by that point, you know, all of my friends had, all my friends had gone away to residency, everybody sort of moved on. And I felt like I was stuck in this weird in between place. Um, And so being able to get up and go to work and feel like I had this purpose, um, really was a coping mechanism for me. That's amazing. And I mean, we talked a little bit about this before we hit record, but you feel like this journey um, as a patient has helped you to become a better healthcare provider. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So um, when I got diagnosed and especially when um, when my hair started to fall out, um, I knew that I was going to be going to rotations and people were going to be able to look at me and very evidently tell that I was a cancer patient. I looked like a cancer patient. Um, and so I just had this notion in my head that if they saw me as a patient, they would be so focused on what is, why is this, why is she here? What is her role here? She can't take care of me. She's also a patient. Um, you know, that it was this dichotomy of patient versus provider. And those two things did not overlap. And so I really worried about that. And, um, the more that I went through it, and then especially as I got into residency and was able to sort of talk to these kids who were going through really scary procedures or maybe having their ports accessed, being able to say like, I get you, I know, you know, I know this is scary and being able to also just empathize and know what um, the difficulties of the U.S. healthcare system and sort of the things that are going on behind the scenes and things that you don't want to, you know, spill your guts to your doctor constantly to know what that was like. Um, I was quickly able to realize that it, it didn't mean that I couldn't take care of them. It made me a better provider and a better practitioner, um, you know, to sort of know those things and be able to think maybe there are these other, th- other things going on in the background that we haven't thought about before that we need to think about, or maybe we should ask about it. Um, and so I teach a class now with a pharmacy school here in the United States every year about um, survivorship and long-term follow-up in oncology. 
Um, and so that's something that I really try to stress is to think about, you know, think about your patients and viewing things from the patient side and, and really teaching them that, you know, we're all going to go through periods in our lives where, you know, if we're not the patient, maybe we're the caregiver or we're a family member of a patient. And so that, you know, that experience can really teach you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely must have been a, a super challenging time but one that has helped you to grow personally and professionally so yeah good job for kind of like getting through that and still completing your pharmacy degree and doing your residency and following your dreams really um amazing um so tell me about your um residency post so you did your um residency specifically in pediatrics so when you i guess at the end of your pharmacy degree you knew at that point like I'm going into pediatrics this is what I want to do so what's the process like for applying for the residency programs yeah so um, residency applications here in the United States go through one giant portal Um, and so all of your information is put into this portal um, and you're able to apply to multiple programs sort of simultaneously Um, Usually beforehand, there are a lot of, you know, in the in the pre-COVID world, um, there would be, you know, meet and greets at different conferences, or we would all go to um, the giant um, ASHP mid-year meeting in December where you go and you meet all the residencies um, and you go to this showcase, which is like the most overwhelming room you've ever been in in your life with just like thousands of booths set up and it's so loud and, you know, all the hundreds of potential residents are trying to sort of vie for attention from the people at the booth. And you're just trying to get them to remember your face and remember your name so that when they're sorting through this stack of paperwork later, maybe they'll remember something about you. But so you put in your applications, um, you find out if you've gotten any interviews. And then from there, again, pre-COVID interviews would be in person. So you'd get to travel and see the hospital and things. Um, Post-COVID here in the U.S., we're still doing a lot of virtual interviews, which um, actually has really done a lot for residencies because, um, you know, traveling to all those places was really expensive. It's on your own dime. And so people were really limited in the number of places that they could try to apply to or that they could interview at based on cost. And so now by doing these virtual interviews, um, we've sort of opened it up more to people to be able to afford to try different areas or Um, you know, maybe apply to programs that are on the other side of the country that they wouldn't have been able to get to before. So um, you have your interview phase. And then following your interview phase, it's sort of a mutual selection process. So you rank your favorite programs, the programs are also ranking their favorite applicants. Um, And then a computer algorithm matches you up. And so much like medical residents, Um, have match day, pharmacy residents have match day. And so you just sit back and you wait on match day for that email to come and tell you what your future is going to look like. So it's a very, very stressful moment, um, a very exciting and scary moment. Um, But it's a it's one that you don't forget. It's quite competitive and sounds quite scary. Um, Quite overwhelming when you're still feeling like you're in your student days still so it's quite a big moment professionally as to whether or not you're getting into a program and it is definitely competitive do you know actually um by chance how many um people apply for residency programs across the u.s every year oh gosh i don't have a number i wish i knew um it's a lot and you know because of the competitive nature and how um you know, there are always going to be people that don't match, not because they're not amazing applicants, but at this point, there just aren't enough programs. Um, You know, the idea of one year's or even two years of residency after pharmacy school is not and has not really been required before. Um, But so now as pharmacy is really growing and developing, more places are requiring residency, so more people are interested. But Um, You know, I don't have a number nationally, but I can tell you in the other hospitals um, that I've worked at before, um, you know, we have had upwards of 50 applications or more, um, and we only have two spots. And so then even when it comes down to interviewing, we may be interviewing five or six people um, or more per spot. And so that, you know, it's just, it's very competitive. The odds are, the odds are not great even in, you know, even once you've made it to 
the interview phase just because there are so many people interviewing um, for the same number of positions. So that is tough. Definitely tough. Here it's um, it's just as competitive, but they're not doing it on a kind of national scale in the same way as mm-hmm. you guys do. But they are doing that for um, – we do four years of pharmacy and then the fifth year you're working like an internship. Um, and that program that you apply for is now done nationally in the same way. You get put into a portal, basically. Um, you're ranking your choices. You have certain assessments you need to take. Some of it's sort of like calculation-based. Some of it's skill, skills-based. And then you get um, matched up with a hospital or a community pharmacy, for example. But once you um, – qualify and you're applying for jobs including residency programs it's a simple you're putting in your application and you're doing your best to to make yourself kind of known um and uh you know again fingers crossed but the interview process is tough um there's usually like an assessment where they're giving you drug charts of patients that you would then get quizzed on. So they give you that a few minutes before the interview so you can have a look at it. And then it's kind of a pre-interview where, where they'll ask you a lot of like kind of clinical questions, interactions, like what do you see on the charts, whether it's missing signatures and things, you know, kind of simple stuff. But back in the day when you were applying, you would feel quite overwhelmed having to do that and do an interview yeah. straight after. So um, you have that. Uh, they sometimes have questions um, where you have to put things in kind of prioritization order and kind of give your reasons as to why you would do certain things because this all links to the kind of the night shifts and having you know so many calls overnight that you're dealing with on your own so they want to see that you've got that skill set and then it's a standard you know interview with a panel of sort of two to three people sometimes maybe max four Um, so the residency programs are definitely very competitive, um, but maybe not as much as, um, the U S and I always say on the podcast that the UK is, you know, smaller than Virginia. So when you look at the difference between here and the U S it's always going to be massively different. Um, but yeah, that's amazing. So for you personally, I guess, from the point of view of applying for the residencies, were you quite confident at that point? as as a person that I've got this I can do it I can get the residency um or did you have some anxiety as well I was terrified okay um the um the previous year so directly out of pharmacy school um was when I had applied for residency and so not only so I got diagnosed in March and then two weeks later was match day and so I found out that I hadn't matched that year um you know the algorithm didn't work in my favor that year I wouldn't have been able to complete residency that year anyway. And it turned out being sort of a blessing in disguise. But, um, you know, there are, like I said, there's great applicants every year that don't match. The algorithm doesn't always work perfectly. And so going to it again the second year, I was like, is this going to happen again? Could this really be? Um, And so I was a nervous wreck. um, But I matched in my first choice program and was thrilled and did my first year of residency at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters, where I currently work now. Um, and so, yeah, it, it worked out for me. And then I decided to go through the whole crazy process again and do a second year residency. And I did that at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was t- it's two crazy long years of residency, but it's worth it in the end, so... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of skills that you gain in a residency program are, I mean, you you can't make that comparison sometimes to a a normal sort of hospital or a a retail job because you there's just so much going on. But even your knowledge as a pharmacist just expands exponentially in such a fast pace. So all super useful once you come out of the residency and you get your your kind of next job. an amazing amount of skill that comes out of it. I mean, I felt like managing my time, prioritizing kind of my ability to be assertive and that confidence increased because you're having to make such 
important decisions regarding patient care when you're getting those bleeps coming through on your night shifts and you're on your own and you're having to make really important decisions for your patients at a fast pace um, and make those judgment calls. And you're very sort of, you feel like you're very newly qualified, but that skill kind of increases very quickly. Um, and it puts you working under pressure. I mean, I never thought I would work in such pressured environment, but I actually thrived and loved it. I really enjoyed those night shifts and those weekends. And also you become responsible for, uh, we, we manage the pharmacy, like the dispensary. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you have a lot of responsibility, you're managing, you know, what maybe the technicians are doing and what other pharmacists might be doing with you, managing the workload, like, and, and that confidence is such a great skill to learn um, at an early stage in your career because it just becomes ingrained in who you are so then you can you've got that confidence and then you can just build on other things as time goes by so you can focus more on leadership and management um, or the clinical specialties that you're in or being able to do research and all the other things that pharmacy has to offer because those skills are kind of yeah built into who you are from an from an early stage um so tell me a little bit about what the PGY1 residency was like. What is, I mean, what are the expectations? What, um, yeah, what did you do, um, I guess, month to month in terms of learning and experience? Yeah, so my PGY1, um, it's technically just a general PGY1 residency in pharmacy, but I knew that I wanted to do pediatrics. So I chose to do it at a freestanding children's hospital. And so um, I have similar the similar requirements to someone who may have been in an adult hospital. Mine was just at a children's hospital. So um, the way our residency is structured and the way most PGY1s are structured is um, that each month you're in a different location for, um, you know, sort of um, for your experience that month. So you start out learning about the main pharmacy, how to use the computer system, how to operate in a hospital pharmacy. And then from there, you move to your cl different clinical areas. Um, you usually have a longitudinal research project that you have to present by the end of the year. Um, and so that's a great experience to, to learn about research if you didn't have the opportunity to do that um, in pharmacy school. But um, And then you typically have a couple of electives. So if there was some area that you were very interested in, you have the opportunity to go back and spend more time there. So that if you are choosing to do a PGY2 in a certain subspecialized area, whether um, it's critical care or um, in my case, it was oncology, um, you know, you have the time to go back and spend in those areas. And so PGY1 was really when I decided that I wanted to do pediatric hematology and oncology. Um, I loved working with those patients. Um, I, you know, I loved my rotation at St. Jude when I was a student. And so I was just really drawn towards that area. And obviously my, my future or my previous journey with cancer and I was still sort of dealing with all that probably had a little bit to do with that as well, but decided that was really what I wanted to do. Um, and so I spent my elective months in oncology. I did an elective in ambulatory care and was able to work in the HEMOC clinic and sort of see what, what a pharmacist could do on the outpatient side, like being involved in the, in the clinic and not necessarily just in the outpatient pharmacy, which I really loved. Um, and so that was PGY1. Um, and that led me to my second year of residency, which um, was a pediatrics residency. And I spent about seven months of my year just focusing in hematology, oncology, and bone marrow transplant. So like you mentioned, um, it's a really crazy year of just putting yourself under immense pressure. Um, all of a sudden, you've gone from being a student to now the the medical residents are calling you and they want to know the right answer. And they don't care that like, like, you know, like them, you've only been licensed for a month. They're like, but you're the pharmacist and I need you to tell me what to do. So, you know, sort of getting that confidence to to be able to handle those situations learning about all different patient um, populations and really just very intense hands-on training that you don't, you know, there's nothing like that after residency. You, you never again will have a team of people around you who are there solely for, for your education. So you have all these preceptors and leaders and mentors and people that are really just pouring into you um, for a whole year, which is, I think, an amazing opportunity 
um, to, to learn from people in those roles. So I'd say residency is a crazy journey. It's one of those things that really sort of only people that have done it with you understand. Um, and it's also a great time for building relationships and making new contacts and, you know, especially your co-residents, the people that went through that, that chaos and that craziness with you will be friends forever. So, um, it's a, it's a great opportunity and I'm really glad I did it. Um, even though it was tiring and stressful and, um, yeah, just generally exhausting, but it was also really great looking back. Yeah, I loved it. I feel like sometimes I wish I could go back and do it all over again because I genuinely loved, I, I thrived in the chaos. And I think that's why I like a job which has lots of variety. So obviously I'm a pediatric pharmacist. Yeah. Uh, my specialist area is palliative care. Um, so I'm working with the palliative care team at the hospital. So I do that, um, a couple of days a week, and then I'm lecturing at a university for undergraduate students in pharmacy school. So, um, a very different side of, and a different pace of life. Um, nothing at university is ever an emergency. Um, you know, it is a slower pace of life and, uh, the team is very different. You're working with, yeah, it's, it's amazing, but it gives you that variety and different skills that you're using as well. And then obviously, like I'm a parent, I've got two kids. So that's, you know, a big part of my life. Um, a very young baby who's now just turned one. So, uh, and then a five-year-old, so they're still very needy. Um, and then also, um, I've got the podcast, which takes up a lot of my spare time. So I know that I thrive in chaos. I know that I like the variety and chopping and changing and using different skills in different areas. Um, and I think I probably wouldn't be able to do all of these things if I hadn't been through that experience in the first place. It's really grounded me and helped me to develop that kind of core skill and that foundation to be able to thrive in, in these types of environments, which is, yeah, really useful. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would say the same thing as far as, um, you know, and I, so my job now is a, um, I'm an ambulatory hemonc pharmacist and occasionally I do a little bit of inpatient, but you know, I love being outpatient and some days are very sickle cell focused. Some days we're doing a lot of pain management. Some days are very oncology focused and every day has different tasks. Every day is different. You never know what's going to come in the door, um, what the clinic schedule is going to look like. And I love that everything's very different. And, um, you know, and also being able to handle that job on top of precepting and, you know, the, the lectures that I get to teach at some pharmacy schools and also being involved in pharmacy organizations. It's still, you're still busy. I think that's this, this fallacy that you think when you're younger is that when you're, when you finally are done with school or when you finally meet whatever milestone it is in your head, you'll somehow magically be less busy. Um, and that just doesn't happen. Your busyness just turns into different things. And so now, you know, that's my busyness is the different staying with the pharmacy organizations and precepting and my tasks at work. And um, because of residency and the skills that I learned there, I can manage, you know, the leadership roles in FIP and the different things. Um, so, so yeah, definitely so many life skills. And I think I like you also thrive in a little bit of chaos. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And when you talk about ambulatory care, because we don't have that terminology here in the UK. So we've got inpatient pharmacy, we have an outpatient pharmacy. And if you, similar to, I guess, um, in the US, you've got the pharmacotherapy team um, who work in on the wards or maybe in the multidisciplinary team, we just call ourselves clinical pharmacists. So mm -hmm. sometimes you would, uh, like you're within a specialty, you're allocated to a certain cohort of patients, for example. Uh, so in pediatrics, I'm palliative care. A lot of my patients are in the community, like they're living at home mm -hmm. or they're kind of in and out of hospice environment. So we support the families from that perspective, but we also are responsible for patients who come into the hospital as inpatients. So unlike the US where you've got that inpatient pharmacy who's kind of screening prescriptions from like a computer, um, each ward area would have a pharmacist physically on the ward, similar to kind of a pharmacotherapy team. So that's kind of how we work. And then outpatient pharmacy is just completely 
separate. It's just dealing with um, clinics and the patients that go through clinics and they're collecting medications, um, which you don't necessarily get from your primary care provider. Um, And we don't have, uh, we do have private hospitals here. So um, we do have uh, a similar, I guess, uh, healthcare system to the US for private medical insurance. But otherwise, if you come into hospital or you're going to your primary primary care provider, it's all covered through the government. So you're paying basically through your taxes. So it's slightly different. Uh, so we don't have any of this PBM where we're looking to see if like your medications are covered. Yeah, I hate PBM. I used it in Abu Dhabi when I was at Cleveland <laughs> Clinic and it used to drive me crazy and customers used to get so angry because they'd have yeah. to wait for that approval sign to come up. Um, so if you're collecting a specific medication um, from a pharmacy, it's literally that if it's been prescribed, you would get it. But how the hospital works is that they've got a specific formulary which they would use um, for for treatment. And because it is government-owned hospitals, you wouldn't necessarily get all of the treatment that you would potentially get in the US because it is covered by insurance. So there are cost limitations. So we might have kind of like the first, second, third line treatment But in the U.S., you would get all this additional kind of drug treatment that just wouldn't exist here from a financial point of view. So there are definitely ups and downs. Wait times in the hospitals can be terrible in comparison to the U.S., I think. Um, And again, it's just due to kind of the lack of resources and money and funding in terms of people um, being able to work for the hospitals, for example. Um, So, yeah two very different setups. Um, both, I should do an episode on this because there's just so much in terms of the differences, um, and having people having awareness of how the healthcare system works. And the U S is amazing if you have amazing coverage, but not everyone has amazing coverage. It's ridiculously expensive. Um, and not everyone can kind of afford that. So you're limited to what you can get in terms of treatment, depending on what you can afford, which is tough. While here, no matter how wealthy or not wealthy you are, you would you would get the same coverage. You would get the same treatment. So I guess in that way, it's, it's good. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm going off topic. But in terms of ambulatory care, are you in a clinic setting and you're seeing patients that are coming through um, your clinic as a pharmacist? How does that work in terms of your role as a pharmacist? Yeah. So I would say pharmacist-wise, our setup is very similar to what you mentioned. So Um, We have our regular inpatient dispensing pharmacy who are preparing doses for the patients that have been admitted to the hospital. Um, We also have our clinical specialist team um, that work on each of the wards, whether it's general pediatrics, infectious disease, um, my counterpart in Hemonc, um, uh, NICU, PICU. Um, So we do have those pharmacists who are out on the wards um, rounding with each of those patients, seeing them daily. Um, But we also have pharmacists who have that same sort of specialist role and those same kind of responsibilities, but they're in some of our outpatient clinics. So I'm in the Hemonc clinic. So um, on a day-to-day basis, I'm seeing patients that come in. um, Maybe it's to follow up on medication adherence. Um, Maybe it's for pain management. Um, Our sickle cell patients have a lot of chronic pain, so I help manage their pain meds. and so having appointments with them just like they would have with their physician um, to help manage that, um, I help make recommendations about, um, you know, chemotherapy agents, which agents to choose, appropriate dose reductions if that's necessary. Um, and so really all of those things that you would think of as the pharmacist on the ward, I'm doing those sort of tasks, um, but down in the clinic. And so it's nice because I feel like I sort of get this well-rounded picture of the patient. Um, because, you know, I see them when they're well in the clinic, but I also see them maybe when they're ill in the clinic and need to be admitted or on a follow-up visit from being previously admitted. So I really like that, um, you know, that full picture of the patient and getting to build that relationship with them as well. So, And also with sickle cell and oncology and hematology, they're, quite, they're long-term patients. So it must be nice for Definitely. you to build um, relationships with these families. It's one of the reasons why I also like palliative care and a lot of people may not realize that 
the palliative care patients aren't just at end of life. They've got life-limiting conditions, which enable them to live for months or years, sometimes into their teens. So they're living at home in the community with their families and with carers, but actually we support them with symptom management. So I really like that aspect of supporting families with chronic diseases for sure. Like it's a massive part of um, my enjoyment as a pharmacist. I remember, again, through residency, those acute rotations um, like emergency admissions and kind of uh, the acute wards, even, I guess, uh, emergency surgeries and things. I did enjoy enjoy them, don't get me wrong. Um, but I realized further into my professional life that definitely long-term diseases and getting to know patients and families um, was really important to me. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's sort of the we thrive in chaos thing. But, you know, I like being in the emergency department. It's so fast paced. It's fun. A trauma comes in. There's things happening everywhere. But then once it's all over, once it's all over, you're like, but what happened to that patient? Like, I need to know the outcome. Are they upstairs? Like, how's it going? So yeah, I like the I like the fun and the fast pace. But like, I also like the long term, like I get to know the whole story. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I love this because we have so much in common from that perspective. Like, yeah, the acute situation is fun and you're literally fast paced all day, every day. But and every day is a new day, right? Because you're seeing new people every single day and you are in a different type of chaos. But it's not the type of chaos I want for the rest of my career. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't get to you don't get to build that rapport with the family or the patient like you do in the moment. Of course you do. Um, but it's so short-lived and and that follow-up is really important as a pharmacist for me and everyone will feel differently. And that's, again, one of the beauties of being a pharmacist. You've got these options. You get to choose what it is that you like doing and what type of patients you like seeing and what type of environment you get to be in. I mean, it's incredible how much choice we have. Definitely. And if you're in one area, you know, I say all the time, like, if I ever get tired of doing this, at least I know I can, you know, I have I have so many other options just because you're in one area of pharmacists for a while a pharmacy doesn't mean that you can't switch to something else later. We do have so many options. And honestly, like if you can think it up, if you can make the business model and make it work, you can really do anything. So. Absolutely. So at the moment, um, I guess you're um, working in ambulatory services. Do you have, um, I guess, any goals within your job at the moment you want to stay in that area or have you got any plans to try different things? No, you know, I came to this position in 2021 um, and it was a new, a new position. There hadn't been an ambulatory pharmacist there. So my role has been to sort of build up that clinic and those pharmacist services. And so really, I just want to continue expanding what, um, what we can offer. And, you know, ultimately my goal is to show them that we can do so many things and to offer so many services that they, you know, that we need to hire another pharmacist and that I have someone else in the clinic with me to do things like anticoagulation monitoring. And, um, you know, in the United States, we can do collaborative practice agreements where we can have appointments with patients and do some um, medication management on our own. And so, having those sort of systems set up and being able to to do even more in that clinic is really the goal right now, just really to continue showing everyone the value of, of pharmacists and how we can help the patient so much. Service improvement is another area that I enjoy. And again, similar to you, palliative care, uh, a pharmacist that I have a colleague who has experience in this specialist area because obviously we've got palliative care patients in the hospital, but it wasn't her specific role. She's a neonatal pharmacist. Um, But when it came to palliative care, she kind of just took the lead with it, but we never had the funding to hire anyone specifically to work with the palliative care team. So they... I guess, built my role for me, similar to you. And we've been building the service and I've been doing so many audits, kind of identifying what I've been doing, where my impact is. Um, We've had a few cases of errors in primary care where we've supplied, for example, uh, a, a morphine liquid for symptom management um, to a neonate. But then when they go to their primary care provider, 
um, the the doctor has changed the prescription to a different morphine depending on what's available in the community pharmacy and then obviously there's a calculation error or a product has been changed and the parents haven't necessarily maybe understood what that change means in terms of the number of mills to give. Um, and there's been significant sort of overdoses in the community because primary care providers do not feel super comfortable with pediatric patients. And then to add the spin of a palliative care patient, um, we have patients who come from all over the country. So you're not going to make them come to our outpatient clinic for follow-up multiple times a year because they could be a four-hour drive away, for example. So you would send letters and kind of information from our outpatient clinic and through our like consultants to the primary care provider who would kind of continue care on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, there is a risk of errors. So part of my job was building education programs for primary care providers, for pharmacists also working in the community, because when they receive a prescription for morphine for a neonate, again, why would a neonate need morphine? Like on a day-to-day basis, you wouldn't really have that exposure. You haven't had a residency. You've not worked in a hospital before. So you're not necessarily understanding the indication in this in this patient. So there are kind of big risks in terms of errors that can happen. Um, so in terms of the service improvement, it's been really enjoyable not to identify errors, but it's been really enjoyable to see the progress that we're making trying to fix them and trying to come up with solutions that will prevent these errors from happening in the future. So I've kind of, I've really enjoyed the aspect of building a role. And like you said, increasing the number of hours I have within this specialist area, building a team. I don't have a a team yet. um, And at the moment we probably don't need one, but I've been in roles before where we've needed extra people and putting in business cases. Again, things we don't necessarily learn at university, right? How would you put a business case together to increase your team from one to five? Um, These are things that you're kind of learning on the go and with experience and from the people around you who've probably done it before and you get support from your team, um, which is uh, a nice opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess I want to take you a uh, side, sidestep from pediatrics um, to how you got involved from IPSF into FIP. What, um, what was that transition like in terms of, uh, yeah, volunteering your your skills and your experience to a different side of pharmacy? Yeah, so um, I feel like it sort of transitioned from my time in IPSF. Um, many of the people and friends that I had, the friends that I made from IPSF, were had become involved in FIP, and um, I had sort of this awkward gap because after you know after finishing up my roles with. IPSF during residency and then um, sort of COVID happened and everything felt like it was on pause. Um, after that was sort of when I started getting back into uh, into organizations again and try to trying to learn about FIP and what was out there. And um, I uh, talked to people that were currently involved in FIP that had been um, leaders in IPSF when I was and just talked to them about what are the opportunities for early career pharmacists, what are the kind of things that I can do? And um, there's always webinars out there about what are the available roles and things like that. And so the timing was right. And it was about to be time um, for new, for the call for new applicants to be leaders within the early career pharmaceutical group used to be called young pharmacist group. Um, But so that opportunity was there. And I'm a firm believer in, um, and when it comes to opportunities and things that you're interested in like that, don't tell yourself no, make someone else tell you no. So put yourself out there. So I applied for that and was lucky enough to get the position of um, chairperson of projects. And I'm now in my second year of that role and have been able to learn so much about FIP and the structure and just all of the different um, avenues that are available for members, regardless of any type of pharmacy that you could ever imagine, there is a place for you in FIP um, and so many opportunities. And so I've really enjoyed um, um, being involved in that for the last couple of years. Amazing. So what is the role of a chairperson of projects? What is What have you been getting involved with? 
Yeah, so we have so many projects for our early career members. Um, we have the leadership development workshop um, at our annual Congress, which leads into a leadership development program. Um, and we're currently planning for that. We have tons of personal and professional development materials. So we have our career development toolkit, which sort of walks you through an inventory of things that you're interested in to what are your current skills and sort of evaluating that. How can you build on those? And just this really great toolkit to go step by step um, through the kind of skills and things that you would need um, to be a young professional in pharmacy. Um, and so that's a really great resource. It's actually free on the internet. Um, we have a mentorship program um, where you tell us sort of what areas of pharmacy that you're interested in, what your goals are, and we match you up with, um, with a mentor from FIP. And then we have our remote volunteer program, which allows people from all over the world to, um, to volunteer with different projects from FIP, whether that's a, a publication, some research that they're doing. Um, and so it doesn't matter, you know, if you live in Europe where the headquarters are, you can sort of live anywhere and get involved with these great projects. So um, it's been another time where I've had to really utilize um, time management and balancing projects. And again, those skills from residency and pharmacy school. So um, there's always tons going on, always new opportunities out there. Um, so it's been, again, a, a learning curve when I got started, but a really great learning opportunity throughout the last couple of years and time for me to, um, again, expand my, my view of pharmacy and global pharmacy. And I just love it. Amazing. And how much time on average per week do you think that you spend doing this role outside of your um, normal job? Oh, gosh. Um, on a slow week, eight to 10, maybe on a, oh, really? on a busy week, upwards of 20. I mean, it just, it depends on what's going on. Um, we know that there's a lot to do. Um, and we're a small team, you know, we're, there's five of us that are managing all of the activities of the early career pharmaceutical group from FIP. Um, thankfully, we each, you know, each of the five of us have our own team underneath us to help us with all of these projects. But, um, you know, we have high goals and high expectations for ourselves and a lot of things that we're doing. So it's, it's a big time commitment, but I think it's worth it. We've had a lot of really great opportunities and get to do some really cool things. So, um, yeah. A slow week of eight hours. That's still like a big commitment because if you work full time five days a week, that's pretty much, you know, one day of your weekend, right? Minimum. Right. So that's quite an intense, oh, you love the chaos though, but you know, it is, it is an, it is a, a considerable amount of your free time. Um, let me ask, how do you manage your time um, in terms of ensuring that you, I guess, flourish in your day job and everything that you're doing? Because I know you probably go to work and do your nine to five if ambulatory care is a nine to five role, but there are definitely things that you must be doing for your job outside of that? Um, and then how do you manage creeping in all this extra activity? Yeah, so um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but since the FIP is headquartered in Europe, a lot of the start times are very early. So it's not uncommon for me to get to work at like 6.30, um, do a webinar for FIP from you know 7 to 8 a.m. and then roll right into my day um, at work, I spend a lot of my lunch hours um, doing, you know, doing FIP calls and other types of calls. Um, and so really, it's just about finding those like pockets of time to do mm -hmm. things. I am by no means a time management expert. And I am a, um, a well known to be a procrastinator. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think that adds to a little bit of the chaos, like it's the, the last minute and you feel that pressure, we're always still going to get it done. But um, and no means a time management expert, but you know, I just, it's those little pockets of time and you know, it has to get done. Um, there are other people on the other side of these projects and you really can really change somebody's outlook on pharmacy, um, help somebody's experience be better. And I think these are really worthwhile projects. And so for me, that's what keeps me going is knowing that if I hadn't had the experiences and the opportunities that I had had previously, 
um, you know, my professional journey would look totally different. And so I want to make sure that that other members have these same opportunities and chances to see um, just the great things that are out there in pharmacy. So that's sort of my motivation for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like this podcast and I and I'm not surprised by the amount of time that you spend doing work outside of your 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 day job. Um, I feel like I do the same, and and I and I do spend pockets of time. Generally, mine would be evenings once the kids go to sleep. But we are quite militant with our routine here at the Patel household. Um, the kids are usually in bed. Yeah, latest seven thirty, um, seven fifteen is kind of a good time where then maybe I could do an hour, an hour and a half, because um, I record a lot of podcasts in the evening once the kids are asleep, because that's a good time. But I'm trying to stop doing too much of it because I end up spending a lot of my evenings um, working on the podcast instead of yeah resting or spending time yeah with myself or with my husband so it's quite tough to get the balance um on the weekends we tend to share a little bit of parenting time so maybe my husband might take the kids for two to three hours out of the house which allows me some quiet time to like get things done and when you've got that kind of pocket like you called it um a two-hour pocket of time and two hours actually it seems like a lot of time um and you know you're under that kind of time pressure, it does make you work a little bit faster because you're like, let me get as much done as I can. This is my free time. Let's do this. And then you have the rest of the weekend to enjoy. So I don't feel like it's a burden. I don't, I actually really enjoy all elements of building this brand and the podcast and the recordings, editing, social media, my website build. I've, the creativity has been really, really, really enjoyable. I mean, I wouldn't have the opportunity to meet you or connect with you if I didn't have this platform. So it's, and, and part of the motivation like you is that you're giving back to students or pharmacists who are on a similar journey as you were a few years ago and helping them to grow personally and professionally is, is there's a mission there, um, which is really nice to be part of that. And you're making friends and relationships with people from all over the world, right? Because with your group, um, you've got people from different countries and you're working on all these crazy time zones. So of course you have to kind of fit in meetings. And even with the podcast, I'm always having to fit in recordings at funny times because of um, time zones. But it's such an enjoyable experience. It's such a rewarding part of being a pharmacist. And it just feels like I wouldn't be anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've gotten better at scheduling time for, you know, fun things or time when I'm going to disconnect. And that way I know, like, I don't feel like I'm wasting time or, you know, I don't feel guilty about, oh, I should be working on something else because this is scheduled time. This is something that I need to do. And also to just sort of refresh myself and get, get focused again and do a better job later. Yeah. What is your favorite part of being the chairperson of projects what is the thing that you love so much about the role yeah just all the people that I get to work with and you know like you said have interacted with from different countries through all the different projects I I love it just getting to meet the people you can probably tell I'm very um you know relationship focused and getting to make connections and build those connections so um I really love it it's it's definitely all about the people for me Amazing. Um, are you going to the FIP Congress this year? Yes, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited for you. That is amazing. Have you been to Australia before? I haven't. So I, I asked up extra time. I let my boss know, you know, hey, part of this time, you know, I'm going to be presenting. It's going to be work, but I'm very excited. So I need some extra time after that to just explore Australia. So um, I have some time to do some fun things after the Congress and I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. Oh, and you're going to meet and connect again with so many so wonderful many people. people from all over the world. Um, I don't think I'm going to make it this year, which makes me so sad. Um, simply because uh, we have um, Epic is coming to our hospital, and it's literally oh, launching. Yeah, of that. So. I- <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I used it with Cleveland Clinic when I worked in Abu Dhabi and absolutely loved it. And um, it is fit for a very US-based system. Um, so we don't do unit dosing. So Cleveland Clinic London has just opened and they're the first hospital to kind of go for unit-based dosing. Normally, if patients kind of get admitted to hospital, they bring their medications in from home and we would actually oh. use those medications during their stay. Now, if they run out of those medications during their admission, we would resupply them, but we would resupply them with like a whole box, for example. So if you bring in your aspirin and you run out, you just give them a 28-day box. And then when they get discharged, you're not having to then supply them with more medicines. They've already been resupplied. And we make sure we give them sort of 10 to 14 days of medication upon discharge. And the letter then gets sent to their primary care provider who would just refill that medication for ongoing supplies, including anything new um, or any dose changes, etc. So the system works slightly differently. Um, Unit-based dosing for the inpatient pharmacy, yeah, it doesn't exist at the moment. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how we set it up. But from an outpatient pharmacy point of view, it's going to be amazing. So Willow is, when I used it, I just loved it compared to what we do now. We are free typing labels, for example. So when we get oh, a wow. medication, yeah, we've got to free type all the instructions. Um, so obviously on Willow, we're very fortunate that whatever the doctors kind of prescribed, we can amend the content and it's a double click of a button and everything gets printed and it's amazing. So that's going to be a massive time saver and this whole barcoding system will be a game changer for us. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to how that's going to look. And that's launching literally the week after uh, the FIP Congress. So there's very unlikely that I will be allowed to escape. But I actually had a look online the next year. It's in Cape Town in South Africa. Um, yeah. So I was really like, oh, that would be amazing. Um, so I'm hoping to, yeah, book that leave very far in advance so that I'm able to, yeah, join because it would be incredible. Yeah. Going to a meeting has become like a running joke in my clinic at work. And so I'll say I'm going, you know, I'm going on whatever trip or um, because, you know, just since I've been in the clinic, I went to Congress in Spain last year. Um, I'm going to Australia this year. I've been able to go to the World Health Assembly in Switzerland twice. And so now everyone at work sort of does the air quotes. And they're like, oh, Amanda's going to a meeting. She has a meeting that she has to go to. It's probably off in some other country for her vacation. But so, yeah, it's become the running joke in the clinic that I'm always going to a meeting, which means like some, you know, some fancy conference in another country somewhere so but I love it which is it's a, such a, great a opportunity. good opportunity yeah I yeah. mean like jinx we said that at the same time but it is such a good opportunity and such a joy for you to enjoy pharmacy but also travel with the role I mean that is so cool I love that and and that for you must be really enjoyable because you've always from such an early stage you've talked about the whole interest in what pharmacy is like in other countries and the global aspect of pharmacy. And now here you are multiple years later, traveling around the globe, enjoying and meeting with other pharmacy professionals and networking and also hosting, like you said, leadership workshops and things like that and being able to present. Um, that's a fascinating you know, element of your journey and something to be really, really proud of. So yeah, go you. Love that. <laughs> Thank you. I know I get really excited, but it is so cool. And there's a lot of pharmacists and pharmacy students who are potentially listening into this episode thinking, yeah, I want to do this. I want to be that person and you will inspire them to, yeah, get going. Oh, I hope so. Everyone has, you know, if you, if you want to do it, don't limit yourself, go for it. Absolutely. I guess that's actually a great way to kind of end the podcast, to be honest, because we've talked a lot about your journey kind of the challenges that you've been through, your love for pediatrics and, you know, your hospital role and ambulatory care, and also what you do in, in your spare time with, with FIP. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to get to know you and, yeah, have this conversation. And I really look forward to hearing more about uh, the Congress when you get back. Yeah, I had such a great time. It was so great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.